Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. After a long and arduous trophy drought, Rangers are the new champions of Scottish football. The day has come! The day is here! The wait is over! Rangers are champions of Scotland and Celtic have rubber-stamped it for them! But this was no ordinary drought. Rangers weren't simply kept off the top. They were cast all the way down to the bottom. The Scottish Football League's only acceptable position will be to place Rangers FC into the third division. Steven Gerrard, a 40-year-old rookie manager, hasn't just led Rangers to the title. He has steamrolled the opposition in record time, dominating the division. A feat all the more extraordinary given the journey that Rangers have been on since 2012. With your support along the way, we will get back to where we belong. And so this is not a simple story of one football team winning a title. This is not even a story of one football icon succeeding against the odds in his first posting. This is a story about a bitterly divided city, a liquidated club, court case after court case after court case. And then, finally, redemption. Here's what you need to know. In 2012, after 140 years, Rangers imploded. Owing millions to HMRC, they entered liquidation. Their assets were sold by the administrators to a new company, Sevco Scotland Limited. And to understand why this is such a huge feat now in 2021, you have to go back through the rubble, examine the pieces and see how they rebuilt from the ground up. It wasn't easy. Along the way, there were pitfalls, gutting defeats and rather more references to hedges than you might expect. But why did they fall in the first place? How did they climb back to the summit of Scottish football? And how did a rookie manager with no experience of the Scottish game whatsoever secure their first success in 10 years? Those are the questions you'll be getting answers to over the next four episodes. That was a really worrying time being a Rangers fan, not knowing 
if you'd have a team to support or not. And there were actually Rangers fans who were crying. You just don't imagine a club that big could be in such a mess and the mess just kept getting messier. I'm your host, Ailey Barber. Welcome to Beyond the Headline, the fall and rise of Rangers. Part one, the fall. It had been building up for many years, even at the height of their success under former owner David Murray and then his successor, Craig White. He just kind of knew things weren't quite right under the Craig White ownership, but he kind of felt that you get through it or, you know, Rangers would be OK because they had been OK for so long. This is Ross McAdam, lifelong Rangers fan and former board member of the Rangers Supporters Trust. I still remember very, very vividly uh, Valentine's Day 2012, sitting in a in a lecture uh, at Edinburgh University and hearing the you know the the news coming through. I think it was through Twitter or some kind of social media platform at the time, and just being shocked. Um, you know, it was like your world had kind of collapsed. You know, looking at your phone. There had been, you know, there'd been a lot of talk about it, sort of rumours as you get in football, I suppose, but you kind of didn't really think that it was going to happen. You know, Rangers were talking about here. So how did it come to this? In case you've not got your Rangers timeline out in front of you, here is what happened prior to the collapse in 2012. David Murray owned Rangers. He was chairman for some of that time too, stepping down in 2009. In 2011, Murray sold the club to Craig White for £1, with the businessman agreeing to wipe the £18 million bank debt. But it transpired that these funds had come from a deal with Ticketus, which borrowed future season ticket money. Don't worry, we'll explain more on that later. There had been risks taken in order to try and achieve success. The club were spending big, as Emma Dodds, Rangers TV presenter, explains. You look at the signing of Tori Andre Flo for £12 million back then, which for a Scottish club was a monumental amount of money. Uh, and it was a gamble that didn't pay off from a Rangers perspective. Obviously things were done behind the scenes that ended up coming back to significantly damage the club. Uh, and as a result, you know, the subsequent action was taken. If we go back to uh, the very first season of the Premier League, uh, which was 1992-93, Rangers had the third highest wage bill in British football. This is Kieran Maguire, an author and broadcaster. You might know him from the excellent podcast, The Price of Football. It was only Manchester United and Liverpool that were uh, funding the, 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 the clubs to the extent that, that Rangers were doing. And, of course, the English clubs had the benefit of a of a Premier League TV deal, and Rangers were funding that on the the goodwill and and the the commitment of their fans turning up week in, week out, and also due to the benevolence of David Murray um, in terms of his commitment to the club. And everybody was sort of enjoying the party, but just like all parties, there was a financial overdraft looming. For all of their spending, Rangers frequently fell short in the Champions League. They only progressed through the group stage once in 2005 and they crashed out in the qualifying stages in 2001, 2008 and 2011. Champions League progress is really important in terms of moving the dial uh, financially and 
Rangers weren't achieving that on, on, a, on a regular enough basis when they had a constant wage bill and they had fluctuating revenues. And it was in this period that the club opted for a less than conventional accounting practice. EBTs are a controversial area. HMRC take a dim view of them. The accountants who devise them will still claim that they are a legitimate means of tax planning. And uh, to be fair, it, it wasn't Rangers who devised the scheme. You know, th this is a scheme which, which many accountants have put forward for their clients with varying degrees of success. Rangers bought into it on a, on a fairly long-term basis. And uh, when HMRC decided to uh, investigate and take things further, and nothing, nothing is it as it seems when it comes to Scotland and money and football. It does seem that uh, HMRC uh, certainly certainly went for, for Rangers. You could level a case, which was the Rangers' defence, that they actually did nothing wrong. Meet Stuart Weir. He's a journalist, author and former sports editor of the Glasgow Herald. In effect, you, you, were, you were paid without paying tax on it because you basically drew down loans on these EBTs. Right. It's getting a bit complicated, isn't it? Don't worry. No one ever got into football to hear about tax schemes. Now, at this point in the podcast, we like to turn to someone like Margot Robbie in a bathtub. But that doesn't work so well on audio. We do, however, have the next best thing. Joe Devine of TIFO with some very soothing music. Here's Joe explaining exactly what went on. Rangers were also trying to compete with Celtic by some creative tax activities. This involved the creation of the Employee Benefit Trusts, where the club paid money into a trust. The EBT then lent money to players who in theory promised to pay it back, but there was no or little effort to ask for that money back from players, who effectively therefore treated it as regular income. The advantage to Rangers in taking this approach was that the club did not pay national insurance contributions on the payments to the players, who also did not pay income tax on these loans from the trusts. The players were happy because they ended up with the net pay they were seeking, so everyone was a winner, well, apart from the government. This policy worked to the extent that Rangers won the Scottish Premier League five times from 2003 to 2011, but critics will argue that they were abusing the tax system in the process and those titles were at best tainted and at worst should have been stripped from the club's list of trophies. Just like Margot Robbie in a bathtub. Let's return to Kieran Maguire. To pick up the story, there were there were two tax cases: the the little one and the big one. Had it not been for the two thousand and seven recession, had it not been for for David Murray's personal circumstances taking a dive as well, then potentially that they could have perhaps reached some form of settlement. But uh, it was sort of a perfect storm of a financial challenge that the club found itself in. And that, in a nutshell, is what got Rangers into the state they were in. They were told by HMRC that they owed £50 million all at once for income they didn't pay any tax on, and there was no way they could pay. It was maybe too good an opportunity for those in authority not to let this one pass. And the other thing was they couldn't really because it was such a, an absolute dog mess. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So to recap how Rangers have got here, they felt they were doing everything legally. The way they were bringing in players, they didn't have to pay tax. But then, to them at least, suddenly everything changed. There was a chance that Rangers' journey back to the Premiership could be shortened, but it was snuffed out emphatically. Attempts had been made to re-enter Rangers into the Scottish Championship, the second tier, for the 2012-13 season. But supporters of other clubs were outraged at this and rose up in protest. Some Scottish fans already believed that Rangers should have been stripped of the titles they won in the EBT period. They were not going to allow the idea that Rangers' punishment could be limited to a single season out of the top flight. And so the vast majority of clubs voted to send Rangers straight to the basement. If if Rangers had to be punished, I think there were more ways of that they could have, and, and cleverer ways to punish Rangers. Stuart Weir. Basically saying you're starting off uh, in the, the the bottom tier of Scottish football. If you, if you think about it, that in itself was a bit of a cop-out. The SFA granted them a licence to play football again and therefore Rangers survived. They didn't go the full hog and basically say, no, you're that's it, you're finished, you're kaput, you'll go the same way as as Third Lanark did um, during the 1960s, you're no longer welcome and you're gone. Scottish football, if you like, covered its backside ever so slightly when they allowed uh, Rangers to then participate again. But it was almost, I think they went half cocking a lot of things, whereas if they'd actually thought it through, they could have still had Rangers in the top flight, but absolutely neutered them for something like three or five seasons where you know they would have started with a points penalty that might have meant they survived relegation in the first season and that points pe- penalty would have been gradually reduced season on season until Rangers actually came back to some level of parity instead of that they were banished to the the, 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 the bottom tier of Scottish football and the only people that benefited from that were football clubs who must have thought it was Barnum and Bailey's circus that was turning up. Not quite the greatest show then by the authorities. An overwhelming majority said that Rangers had to go again from the bottom and it tore a rift between the Rangers fans and the supporters of other clubs. Yeah, it said an awful lot, didn't it, about what goes on in football up here. Emma Dodds, Rangers TV presenter. Does it come down to jealousy? Does it come down to the way Rangers did do their business for all those years when they were successful? You you mentioned it, they're the most successful club in the world. And, you know, that is something to be proud of from a Rangers perspective, but it's clearly something that the other clubs up here don't like. And, you know, when you're constantly on the receiving end of defeat after defeat and you're watching what's happening with with the success that was going on at Ibrox then, you know, clearly there was a resentment and a jealousy. And 
almost a point needed to be proved, I think, was the way a lot of clubs, that was the stance they took and an example had to be made of what happened in order for it not to happen again. Um, there's no doubt it should never happen again. It should never be allowed to happen again at a football club. But, I, you know, the action that was taken in the views of many, certainly from a Rangers perspective, was far too harsh. It's worth noting at this point that football in Glasgow is... Well, it's pretty partisan up here. If you're Scottish, you'll know exactly what I mean. But if you're not familiar with the old firm rivalry, it's like this. My goodness. It's like nothing you can ever imagine. It is like being in a cauldron. The analogy that's always used is that it's a goldfish bowl. Anything that happens is just... It seems like the biggest thing in the world. It's so tribal, it's unreal. It's the build-up that gets a lot of people... It's not, it's not so much the game, the game's almost the release. And it takes religious connotations as well, which is ridiculous. I don't think you can fully get your head around the hostility. It's not, it, it, it is, there is a rivalry, but it's more than a rivalry. It is real hostility, and I would have to say at times, real hatred. And it's not simply that Rangers are hated by Celtic and vice versa. Rangers aren't really very popular with anyone outside of their own fan base. Growing up, Rangers being the most successful team in the country, you're kind of used to other teams hating you. Finlay Marks, journalist and Rangers supporter. I mean, Rangers even sing that in a song, you know, where Rangers, no one likes us, we don't care. And and you're used to that. But I was, I've got to say, I was quite shocked by how vicious... The rest of Scottish football seemed to be. Maybe, maybe I was a little bit naive. Ross McAdam. When that happened, I expected there to be a bit of banter, a bit of you know, yeah, a bit of teasing, etc., from rival fans. That's that's just part and parcel of sport and rivalry. But the you know the level of vitriol and 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 real real nasty undertones to it certainly took me by surprise. I don't expect fans of other clubs to like Rangers or, or anything like that, but to watch people, you know, effectively, football supporters themselves look to, uh, you know, basically actively wish that for the club that, that I support to, to no longer exist and to disappear just didn't sit well with me at all, you know. We all, we're all football supporters, we all, we all love our clubs, and to try and take that away from somebody just... Certainly not the way I would view uh, if an event had happened somewhere else. And I always think back to some of the events that have happened down in England, you know, whether it be Leeds, whether it be Crystal Palace, whether it be Portsmouth, you know, and there was a lot, there was almost like a sort of coming together of clubs in and around, whether it be rival clubs or other clubs in England, sort of jumping to the support of these clubs, which just didn't happen in Scotland at all. We were completely ostracised and, and left to deal with it on our own. And actually, the flip happened where people were actively pursuing negative outcomes for Rangers, which was really disappointing to see. But whether you felt that Rangers got their just desserts or that they were harshly treated, the decision was made. Just two days later, they opened up their season away at Brechin City in the Ramsden's Cup. I think you have to take positives out of out of everything and it was a very different experience. Rangers hadn't experienced something like that for such a long time. Hayley McQueen, 
Sky Sports presenter. They'd been up there or thereabouts um, in the mix with winning titles, defending titles, um, playing against the best of the best, playing in, in, in European competitions, and then suddenly they were they were at grounds with the maximum capacity of you know one and a half, two thousand fans. You'd be lucky if they even turned up. But when Rangers came to town, they did. Um, so I think you have to see it as a different adventure, and they always knew that there would be light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but I think once they would dot those points, and once they had gone down, and once um, they'd gone through the big old mess, they were so hell bent on getting back up to where they felt that they belonged. It was very much, I mean, I'm, I'm not like a Rangers fan. I wasn't traveling around with the team. I wasn't heading to these stadiums. I was merely covering it as a broadcaster, seeing it from the outside. But you can imagine as a fan, not enjoying what was happening to a club, but enjoying knowing that one day you'd be back up there and you could just turn around to everyone and say, well, look what we've done. We were in a hideous mess for such a long time. Look what you've dragged us through, but had such a point to prove that they could get back there. I was quite hopeful that there would be almost a kind of romance in in coming up the divisions and going to these small grounds. I think one of the images that sticks out for most Rangers fans was in the first game um, after we'd been demoted to the, the fourth tier was a, a Challenge Cup match against Brecon City and the ball gets stuck in the hedge at Brecon City's ground and um, that's kind of an enduring image of, of where we started in the journey to try and come back up again. There was a whole range of emotions. Ross McAdam. Looking back, relief would have been the main one. You know, we'd gone through that whole summer not knowing whether our club was going to exist anymore, you know, um, whether I'd have a team to support that season, which is a very strange feeling um, and certainly one that I would never like to go through again and not one I would want any football fan to go through. You know, even just 24 or 48 hours before that game, we still didn't know whether it was going to go ahead, you know, without getting into the intricacies of it all. They didn't know whether the, the membership, the SFA membership transfer from the old co to the new co was going to go through in time and all the other legal complexities and other vested interests that were involved at the time, whether that was all going to happen. So there was a huge uncertainty. So as I said, the primary emotion I think was relief that I had a club to support. You know, this journey through the divisions and seeing Rangers at places and grounds, I would never really have expected to see us other than maybe the odd cup tie in the Scottish Cup was quite exciting. Exciting would be one way to describe it, but the novelty didn't take long to wear off. How easy was it for Rangers to return? Join us on the next episode of Beyond the Headline to find out and journey back up with us. It was just such an impossible task, even for the great Ali McCoist. You end up at Stranraer and you've got guys who can lean over and touch you when you're taking a goal kick. This is fun, quickly, quickly became this is not much fun. This is part one of four of Beyond the Headline, The Fall and Rise of Rangers. All four parts are available to listen to now and ad-free via the Athletic app. If you're not already a subscriber, then go to theathletic.com forward slash beyond to claim your sign-up offer. The Fall and Rise of Rangers was produced by Abby Patterson. The episodes were written by Ian McIntosh and Nick Miller. The executive producer was Ian McIntosh. <laughs> <laughs>